Our second scripture lesson today comes to us from the New Testament book of James. It's chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. You can read along in your Bible or on the screen. In this passage, James is making a particular argument, so you'll have to listen carefully as he lays it out. Let's listen for what God's Word has to say to us today. What good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Surely that faith cannot save, can it? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their, their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith apart from works is worthless? Was not our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and by works, faith was brought to completion. Thus the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another road? For just as the body without spirit, the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning once again. It's great to be with you all here today. Um, I want to say hi to those worshiping online on Facebook Live or YouTube or listening to the podcast later this week. It's a rainy and chilly day out, isn't it? Yes. Just for the sake of fun, give me a little shiver. Give me, give me your best little shiver. <laughs> Good job. We are in a brand new month together, and um, as part of our year for growing in grace, each month we have a memory verse that we're looking at as a congregation. And um, so we have a, one each one. And the, the idea with the memory verse is not to stress you out. It's not to uh, give you a bunch of things to do, but instead to help you grow in your faith in a gracious way. So one way to grow in your faith in a gracious way is to let Scripture into your mind and heart a little bit more. So each month we have just one verse, a memory verse, and I'll show it to you. It's up on the screen, and we can read it together. Let's read it together. Here it says, So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Wow. That's a, that's a big verse. It's a bold statement, and I want to talk with you about that today. As we start, I'll be honest to say that James in the Bible, this, this book we're reading from, has a different take, a different approach to Christian faith than a lot of the other parts of the New Testament. In fact, Martin Luther, that 16th century Protestant reformer, he hated the book of James. He didn't want it to be in the Bible. He called it the epistle of straw. Ooh. He was concerned that Christians like us might hear it and think, we've got to do all these good works, all these things, these religious things, in order to be made right with God. Unless we do these things, 
we're not, we'd have no faith in God, we have no life with God, we have no hope from God. But the Christian gospel is really the other way around. As it says in Ephesians, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, not by works, so that no one may boast. So James comes into the conversation of the New Testament of the Bible and gives us a different take on this idea. He says, what good is it if we claim to have faith or claim to be Christians or claim to follow Jesus, but then that claim or that faith or that inner part of our lives doesn't show up in any kind of meaningful, real-world ways. He asks, what kind of faith is that? So he talks about faith and what we believe, and he talks about works, and that's like what we do in response. And he gives us three different um, kinds of works, three different types or ways of works. And you know preachers. They love three-point sermons. So you can see it from here. Okay. Here we go. The first of kind of works that James talks about is helping others. It's simply helping others, just acts of compassion or service for someone else. If you are a person of faith, he says, then show kindness and help to others around you. He says, if a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their, their bodily needs, what good is that? Our faith is meant to lead us into, compassion, into being more compassionate toward those in need. It's meant to lead us into finding ways to help or serve others. Church, amen? amen. That's, not a, that's like 101. That's like Christianity 101. We're, we're good with that. This is probably not a surprise to you, but I'll say it out loud. Followers of Jesus are meant to care for and love and serve the ones we meet. <coughs> so you might know that in our church we have a ministry uh, called Caring Cuisine, and it's uh, where people sign up to make meals and deliver them to people who have a need. And maybe that's somebody who's gone through a loss or is recovering from a surgery or uh, somebody who just needs some kind of, a, of help. And last week, a call went out here in our church to, for a family that has been going through some tough stuff, and they needed some meal support. And I delayed opening the email. I didn't click on it. Uh, and, and so I, I didn't click on it fast enough. So like two hours later, I opened the email, and already all those meal spots were filled. Right? All, people had gotten the email who were, who were on the Caring Cuisine, and they said, I'll do it. People signed up to help this family in need immediately. And I was so thankful as I thought about people in our church folks like you, who seek and find ways to help and serve others. We do that together as a congregation in a lot of different ways, and we're not going to spend this day listing all those things, but, you know, some are coming up. We're preparing right now for this Rise Against Hunger food packing, where we'll pack 15,000 meals for people in emergency situations. Maybe you'll be part of that. Right now, we're preparing to send a group of our high school students down across the border into northern Mexico, where they're going to spend a week building a house for a family in need. One of our ongoing local missions is, is at Martha's Kitchen, which is a place right here in San Jose where we prepare hot, fresh, healthy meals for people who are hungry. And the homeless and the poor and the, those in need just line up right outside and they come and get their food. We send a group every month to do that kind of work. So I wonder for you, and those are just some little examples, as you um, think about your own life, where weekly or monthly or during the year somewhere does this kind of work show up as part of your faith? Where does this kind of work 
helping others show up as part of your faith, getting hands-on with someone who has basic needs in some way. I wonder, as we're talking about it, who God will place in your path this week or this month or in the days ahead where you might have the opportunity to show the love of Christ in tangible, helping ways. So that's the first point. The second one, though, is James goes on and he gives another kind of faith and works, and he uses the example of Abraham. And you guys remember Abraham from the Bible, right? Father Abraham. And uh, what was his wife's name? Sarah. And they were this couple who were trying to faithfully follow God, and they didn't have any kids, and that was just their life. And then late in life, when they were both aged, um, older than any of us here, I think, um, a miracle happened, and Sarah became pregnant, and that's the biblical story that she, um, late in life, gave birth to a baby, and his name was Isaac. And this was a child of promise. This was a blessing from God. They were astonished. They were joyful. But then, in one of the toughest scenes in the whole Bible, God tells Abraham to take his son Isaac, his beloved son, and to bring him and sacrifice him on an altar. Hold on. Abraham has deep trust in God, and so he says, okay. He takes his son with him to go to sacrifice him on this altar. And Bible scholars actually point to this um, story and will say, here's an example of how the Bible is trying to say to God's people, unlike the others in the surrounding area in the, in the ancient Near East, we don't practice human sacrifice. And in the story, God stops Abraham and says, no, don't hurt your son. Never do that. And so it's this example where Abraham is trying to trust God with the most important thing in his life, his beloved child, and God preserves the son, this, this kid, and, um, and it's a teaching for those around. We're not going to be like those around us who practice human sacrifice. I wonder what you would trust God with in your life that's most important to you, most precious to you. Even though we know that God is gracious and kind, um, generous and forgiving, we sometimes can sort of hold things back from fully trusting to God. I do that sometimes, and probably you do that sometimes. Something you say, well, I don't really want to give that to God. I want to hold on to that. That's just for me. One of the hardest things for um, pastors and church leaders to trust God with is the church, right? Sometimes pastors and elders and deacons, we care about, about this, this place, this people, and so it's hard for us to even trust it to God. I mean, after all, aren't my ideas better than God's ideas? Aren't my plans better than God's plans? You know the old memory verse from Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans that Pastor Dave has for you. <laughs> no, wait, that's... I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. That's God talking, and can we trust it? James seems to be saying, what good is your faith? if you can't trust God with the things that are most important to you? What's most important in your life, and what would it look like to entrust it to God? I love the way Jesus tells us, do not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. And even at an everyday level of turning our worries over to God, that's a way of trusting it takes work to do that, to sit with something where you don't know the answer yet. Have you ever been in that situation? Or to get into little conflicts or issues with people where you're not quite sure how to get out of it. Or to, to try and trust God with something that's going on in your life that's important to you and to turn it over to Him. So, 
First, we have um, acts of service, helping others. Second, we have trusting God and turning things over. Abraham turned over Isaac. Trust God. And then third, according to James, we have a really weird one, okay? He uses the example from the Bible of the story of Rahab, also known as Rahab the prostitute. And I'll tell you about it. Here's a quick recap. After the Israelites were, got out of slavery in Egypt, they went into the wilderness, and who was their leader? Moses, we think. Moses uh, was, their, was their main leader. There were a number. And they brought them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They got to the edge of the promised land, and just before they went to the promised land, they said, Let, before we invade the promised land and take over, let's send in some spies. And we'll have some spies go into Canaan, into the promised land, and we'll look around and see how it looks before we launch our invasion. They had to invade the promised land to get it. Okay, so they, sit, so they send the spies in, and the spies, according to the Bible, go into the house of Rahab, the prostitute. You can read into that what you want, but that's where they go, and people are looking for them. Like, the, the people in the land, they say, we know some spies are here, and they go to Rahab's house, they knock on the door, and they say, Rahab, are there any of those foreign men here, those people who've been from outside of our area? And she tells them, no, they were here, but they left. I don't know where they are. Meanwhile, Rahab has hidden the Hebrew spies, the Israelite spies, in her house, on her roof, and she helps them escape and get away. So as a result of this good work by Rahab of helping these Israelite spies, God's people come into and invade the land, and when they do, they remember Rahab and her family, and they protect her, and they give her a place, a new place, inside of their society. So Rahab, who is this sort of um, other person outside of their land, they become, she becomes part of them. And what's fascinating about the story of Rahab in the Bible, you can read about it, is that she doesn't know the God of the Hebrew people at all, right? She doesn't know the God who, who the, God's people are following. She's not a believer. She doesn't share their faith. She's a woman who's working as a sex worker. Her life is pretty different, we could say. And yet, according to James, this woman, Rahab, does good works, right? So this is not like going to Martha's kitchen and serving meals to the homeless, what Rahab is doing. She isn't doing these good works because of her faith in God. And this is not like turning your worries over to God because you trust him deeply. This is a story about a person who does not yet have that kind of faith. She does not yet know the God of Israel. So her works, her good works, don't save her in that religious sense. But what they do is they put her in a conversation and a relationship with God's people. Doing those good works puts her in a relationship and conversation with people who also want to do good works, but who do it in God's name. So, one of the biggest twists in the scripture is that Rahab the prostitute is then incorporated into the story of God's people in the Bible. She becomes part of them as they move into her territory. She's even included in the Gospel of Matthew in the genealogy that's listed in Matthew chapter 1. And you may not know this, but Rahab is listed as a relative and ancestor of Jesus. And she's right there in the Bible. One of Jesus' relatives and ancestors is Rahab, a foreigner, not a believer, somebody whose life and work are very different, who's incorporated into God's story, and it starts with her good works. So I point this out to you today because maybe you're here and you're kind of listening to this, and you don't 
know if you fully belong among the household of God, or, or you don't really know what you believe or how that works, or maybe you're early in your faith in some ways. So here's this story from Rahab. She's somebody who did good works and helped people in need, and it drew her closer to the people of God. And as she got to know the people of God and hung around with them and did some good stuff with them, she came to know God. She came to know her own sense of identity and belonging among God's people. So maybe this is like the fake it till you make it type of a principle, where you try something out and do it for a while, and then suddenly you realize, I do believe it. I do know about it. I am a part of it. So that's my three-point message for you today, just a small meditation before we turn toward communion. According to James, there are these three ways to think about faith and works. First, your faith in action when you help and serve others. Will you listen? Will you listen for the opportunities and invitations that come your way to do that this week? Second, our faith shows up when we trust God with the most important things in our lives. When you pray for your loved ones, when you join in ministry with our church, when you let go of things you cannot change, and when you seek to live out your Christian calling day by day. And then third, our faith often grows out of our experience, even when we don't understand what it means, but it helps us stay close to the people of God, and God can use that to bring glory and honor. So we're going to turn to the communion table here in a minute, and I invite you to take an act of faith, a step of faith, to come and join in this communion experience today. Coming to the communion table is not something that you must do, but it's an invitation to join in what God is doing among us. My prayer is that your faith will come alive a little bit more as you take a step of faith this morning. Amen. Amen.